The there was also a condition called the bloody flux. Oh, that sounds lovely. Um, <laughs> what does that entail? <laughs> it was just horrible diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it sounds exactly like what it is. That's great. Yeah, and so and I wonder because this is you know this is uh, England, and so bloody is like a a curse word. So I'm like, is it like the bloody flux, or, <laughs> or is it like literally the bloody flux? Like, is it? <laughs> Why not both? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maybe this is where bloody came from. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they coined a term. <laughs> Apoptosis is going mad. My liver's gonna fail. Maybe it's from the radium I use to paint my nails. Well, say you hate me, carbon date me, throw me in the sea. I'll be back with time because I'm made of stardust and chemistry. Of stardust and chemistry. So, hello and welcome to Cowboy Chemistry, where we talk about the wilder days of chemistry. My name is Dylan Gardner, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm a doctoral candidate at Texas Tech University. My guest today is Jenny Moore, uh, a local comedian and probably one of the funniest in the Lubbock scene. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I start off asking all my guests, how much do you know about chemistry? Um, I enjoyed it when I took it in college uh, until I got to organic chemistry, and that made me decide I don't like science enough to be a doctor. So <laughs> it made me cry, but... <laughs> yeah, I teach organic labs. So oh, wow. I've seen some people... Uh, question all of their life decisions once they get there. <laughs> I'm glad it wasn't just me. Yeah, no, labs always. I love the labs. It was the book work, like mm -hmm. the, the reactions and stuff. I'm like, I don't know, magic? <laughs> yeah. So that's my level of chemistry. <laughs> Let's just go with that. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot more than a lot of people know. So, oh, um, yes. but have you heard of scurvy? Oh, yes. That's our topic today. <laughs> what do you what do you know about scurvy? I know that uh, sailors used to get it because they didn't have like vitamin C on the ship. Mm hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the gist of it. Um, scurvy is a pretty nasty dis um, disease. Um, and I thought about talking about scurvy for two reasons. One is our flag means death. So, like, insert the, the teeth go, don't go back in right here, you know. <laughs> I don't know if other people have seen that. But um, the other reason is a book called Napoleon's Buttons, which um, is a chemistry book about 17 molecules that changed human history. And oh. um, chapter two in that book is about ascorbic acid, which is vitamin C and oh, scurvy. Nice. So, yeah, scurvy has probably been around as long as humans have been around. Um it is caused by a lack of ascorbic acid or uh, vitamin C, and even bones from the Neolithic era have shown signs of scurvy. Oh, so wow. um, I have an image on my screen, and I'll show you. <laughs> I didn't know there were visual aids. <laughs> <laughs> um, and these can be Googled when you, if you want to Google them for listeners at home. But a normal bone, obviously, you have nice straight bones. Yeah. Um, with scurvy, you get these gaps in your bones where the joints are. Oh, wow. So you can actually see it in the bone record of Neolithic age with this 
um, these very specific lines that are, are defects in the bones at the joints. So it's incredibly painful. <laughs> I'd imagine. Wow. Um, all right. Um, other symptoms of scurvy are exhaustion, weakness, swelling of arms and legs, softening of the gums, which is where you lose your teeth, yeah. excessive bruising, bruising, hemorrhaging from the nose and mouth, foul breath, diarrhea, muscle pain, loss of teeth, lung, and kidney problems. Wow. Death is usually due to heart failure or a secondary infection like pneumonia. So, wow. um, weirdly, one of the earliest symptoms is depression. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like you're just really sad but people are not clear if that's um like a real symptom caused by a lack of ascorbic acid or it's because that you just like feel really awful yeah. right like because if your teeth are falling out that's pretty <laughs> depressing <laughs> don't know what the problem could be <laughs> um yeah. So records of the observations of the symptoms of scurvy go back. The, the, the ancient Egyptians were the first to like write it down in 1550 BCE. Mm-hmm. Um, Hippocrates, um, who lived in about 460 to 370 BCE, also described the condition in ancient Greece. Um, and he blamed it on a swelling of the spleen. Okay. Um, which... I mean, probably a symptom, but definitely not the cause. <laughs> well, I mean, it's better than ghosts in your blood. I mean, you know, back mm-hmm. then. the well, I'm sure the treatment was bleeding them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was that was a cure for everything. Either, yeah. either make you throw up, make you poop, or or bleed you. That was like literally their three yeah. their three options. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, occasionally they'd have prehistoric lobotomies. That's mildly terrifying. Yeah. Uh, Oh, where they were drilling holes in their heads? Yeah, yeah. So those weren't lobotomies. That was actually for head injuries. Because, you know, like when your brain swells. Oh, okay. Yeah. And there's some theory that actually that might have been about some kind of spiritual ritual to, like, let the cosmos into your brain. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of questions as to what that was for, but, yeah. Yeah, you (laughs) you find uh, drilled holes in people's heads, you have questions. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've heard doctors talk about it, though, and they're like, it was very impressive that they managed to drill a hole in people's heads without killing them. (laughs) (laughs) In, like, Neolithic times, right? Yeah. (laughs) So, um... Now, so there he's, you know, the Greeks and the Egyptians, they weren't, well, I don't know if the Egyptians had a cure, but the Greeks certainly did not have a cure for scurvy, um, but, uh, China did. So China, as early as 460 CE, um, knew the treatment and the cure for scurvy. Okay. Uh, A monk, uh, Faxian, wrote uh, that Chinese sailors would keep potted plants of ginger to treat scurvy. So they would keep these little potted plants on their ships with them. Um, However, this knowledge of the treatment of scurvy in Europe was literally constantly learned and then forgotten. (laughs) They would learn it and then they'd be like, that's too hard or that's not convenient or... Um, I don't want to eat that, so I'm just going to go back to my meat. <laughs> um, until the 20th century. So up to the 20th century. Oh, wow. <laughs> they were just letting people die of scurvy oh, on and off. That is sad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nah, I don't want to eat vegetables. I think I'm going to just let my bones decay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyone that traded with China, which was everyone, um, would have known about this practice, like... Um, and so China was really ahead of the game when it came to naval power. So yeah. they had a standing navy in 1100. The British Royal Navy was not founded until the 1500s. So like they were, they were on the seas a lot earlier than a lot of cultures. Um, um 
Now, when most people think about scurvy, they typically think about, like, sailors and pirates. Mm-hmm. Right. So, in the early days of sailing, um, there were not uh, any more vulnerable to the general population because boats were not really good for long distances, right? So, you, they would oh, just okay. sail along the shore, and so you could just get food from the shoreline. There was no problem. You weren't eating, you know, you weren't having to keep things stored for a really long time. Yeah. Um... It was just a matter of, like, a lack of food, usually before, like, the 14th century. So if you got scurvy, it was just, like, you had some kind of uh, starvation occurring. So you'd get scurvy, right? But as long as food was abundant, most people didn't get scurvy. Um, The Greeks and the Romans used primarily ore-powered ships. So, you know, they weren't going into the middle of the ocean. (laughs) Um, And Arabic traders had sails and such, but the boats were still small and they couldn't handle the open ocean either. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so in the 14th and 15th centuries, when longer trips were made possible um, by the improvement of the technology of boats, that's when you started seeing a lot more scurvy on sailing vessels. Yeah. Um, Being on a ship in this period was literally the worst. (laughs) The worst. Uh, The space was cramped between the increased need for supplies and the lack of ventilation led to tons of diseases among the sailors. Um, Tuberculosis, you'd get head and body lice, scabies, other, any, any disease really was just incredibly common because they were just packed into the ship with and they were gross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of bathing happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, there was also a condition called the bloody flux. Oh, that sounds lovely. Um, <laughs> what does that entail? It was just horrible <laughs> diarrhea. <laughs> yes, it sounds exactly like what it is. That's great. Yeah, and so, and I wonder, because this is, you know, this is um, England, and so bloody is like a, a curse word, so I'm like, is it like the bloody flux, or, <laughs> or is it like literally the bloody flux, like is it? <laughs> Why not both? Yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe this is where bloody came from, I don't know. <laughs> they coined a term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, now, there was also... There are three natural enemies on a boat in this period. (laughs) Fire, pests, and mold and mildew. Mm -hmm. All right? So the hulls were made of wood, obviously covered in pitch for waterproofing, um, which is a black tarry substance that is a byproduct of coal. So, very flammable. Oh, Incredibly yeah. flammable. No, it's cool, guys. We're not going to sink. Just don't smoke on the boat, okay? <laughs> um, but it being waterproof, too, let it to be incredibly humid inside the boat, too. Oh, right? man. So, mold and mildew would grow on everything. Clothing, leather, books, and, of course, food. Any food they had, it was rotting. Sounds lovely. Because of this, food was often dry, salted meats, or hardtack. Do y'all know what hardtack is? No, I've heard the term. I imagine it doesn't taste good. No. It's really shitty cookies. It, it's like <laughs> the worst cracker you've ever eaten. <laughs> yes. um, it is It is basically immune to mildew because when you make it, you, you make it's a flour cracker that is baked to a level of hardness that it's impossible to bite into. <laughs> <laughs> So you just kind of soak it, like yeah. So so what what most people would do if you're on land is you would boil water and then you would put your hardtack in it and that would soften it up and then you would eat it like a soup with like with your soup, um, <laughs> cracker soup. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what you're supposed to do with like salted meats too. You're supposed to put them in boiling water, like you know jerkies. Put them in boiling water and that makes it less salty and awful. Um, 
like modern modern jerky is better than this time period jerky. Yeah. Um. But yeah, but good news, the ships were also weevil infested, and so the, oh, the little lovely. weevils would eat holes into the hardtack, making it easier to bite into and chew. Oh, good. <laughs> Nature's aeration. <laughs> um, which was also really good if you had scurvy and you didn't have any teeth. <laughs> it's all it, it's all coming together now. You know, it's got a really good ecosystem. Going. Yeah. <laughs> and the mildew didn't want to mess with the hardtack because even mildew doesn't like hardtack. Yeah. yeah, I get you. I get you. Um, but yeah, food for a typical sailing trip included butter, cheese, vinegar, bread in the form of hardtack, Dried peas, beer, and rum, none of which contain vitamin C. <laughs> um, they also needed to, most of these needed to be boiled in water to really make it, like, edible and pleasant to eat, like I said. Um, and so, fire was only possible when wa- when the water was peaceful. If, if there was any kind of turbulence to the water, um, they would have to, to uh, shut down the, the galley you know, uh, yeah. the galley fire, basically. Um, because there, that was the only way to cook any food. It was on an open fire. So, yeah. yeah. The microwave hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, even if you cooked it, even if it was pleasable, pleasant, there were no no ascorbic acid in this food, so everyone got scurvy. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, and then because of this poor food selection, too, when sailors would come to shore, they would want, like, to eat fresh meat and butter and cheese, right? Like, they would want, like, good what they thought of as good tasty food in those times, uh, they were not particularly interested in fresh fruits and veggies. <laughs> so that only exasperated the problem, right? So even when they did get on land, they were like, I don't want no broccoli or whatever. <laughs> um, officers in the European navies were actually uh, more used to that variety in their diet and more willing to try new foods when they were traveling. So scurvy was like less of a pop problem with officers than the general population. Oh, okay. Um... This also led to an incredibly high death toll among the general population of sailors, though. Um, when Vasco da Gama sailed around the southern tip of Africa, um, oh, yeah. which is a very famous naval thing, is what I was told. Yeah. <laughs> this was in 1497. Only 60 survived from a crew of 160. Wow. In 1522, Magellan um, sailed acro- around the whole world, right? Mm-hmm. 90% of his crew had died of scurvy. Man. <laughs> Ninety percent. And their retirement plans sucked. <laughs> they didn't need one, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> there were times where entire ships were found just adrift because the entire crew was dead of scurvy. Oh wow. Um, it's hard to know for sure, but scurvy is like the most likely cause of death among sailors. By official number, it outranks ranks the total combined deaths due to naval battles, piracy, shipwrecks, and any other illness. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> it is a scourge, or was, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and keep in mind, and I say all this, the Chinese had, from, from 1100 <laughs> they BC, had it. already knew. <laughs> they weren't even being secretive about it. No. We just, our dumb butts just could not remember it. <laughs> yes. Like, they probably just kept telling it, and people were like, mm. Ginger's a weird flavor. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't like Asian that. food. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, a little uh, script to cooperate with me. Here we go. Uh, in 1617, there there was the first published treatment of scurvy in England. 
again. So this is... <laughs> people been knowing, but England's like, look, I discovered a thing. <laughs> um, but they published that lemon juice was a treatment and preventative um, in uh, John Woodall's The Surgeon's Mate. So he published a book. He's like, lemon juice, guys. It'll treat scurvy. <laughs> Tastes delicious. Uh, 80 years later... It was published again. <laughs> <laughs> we forgot again. We forgot again, and they published it again in uh, Dr. Will- William Cockburn's Sea Diseases, or the treatise, and or the treat on the treat. <laughs> Start off. <laughs> Dr. William Cockburn's Sea Diseases on the Treatment of Their Nature. That is the most awkward book title I think I've ever heard. <laughs> But yeah, every every medicine book from this time period is like on the treatise of blah 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 blah. Like yeah, it's 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 an entire sentence all on its own, or maybe a paragraph if they're feeling particularly wordy. <laughs> the ocean <laughs> dot dot dot. You gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, in that book, it was just like, eat fresh fruits and veggies. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, eat eat your vegetables, please. Short, shortest book ever. It's like a pamphlet. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it was a pamphlet's worth of information that they managed to draw out into like 150 pages. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but there were other, there was other remedies that were less effective that were like folk remedies. Oh, um, nice. Vinegar. Mm-hmm. does not have vitamin C. Salt water, um, unpleasant all the way around. I don't yeah. know who decided salt water was the cure. <laughs> They've got to suffer. <laughs> uh, cinnamon and whey. Okay. N- again, none of which contain vitamin C. <laughs> so finally, in 1747, uh, the first controlled clinical study, so like a clinical trial like we do in the modern sense, yeah. uh, of scurvy was done by uh, James Lind, who was a Scottish naval surgeon, oh. uh, on the ship of the Salisbury. He chose 12 of the crew that were suffering from scurvy and changed their diet from the meat and hardtack to uh, two people got sweetened gruel, sweetened gruel, mutton broth, boiled biscuits, barley, sago, rice, raisins, curants, and wine. Mm. I don't know why that list, but that's what he picked. Um, which was apparently much nicer to eat for people without teeth, too. So it's very soft. <laughs> very soft diet. That, that's kind. And then he split them up and tested what was the real treatment. So like that, he, he standardized all their diets to this very soft food. And then he split them up into groups of two for the real treatments. Um, two were given the vinegar. Two were given salt water. <laughs> seawater. Uh, two were given a mixture of nutmeg, garlic, mustard seeds, gummer, uh, cream of tartar, bar- and barley water. I think the most unfortunate group were given dilute elixir of vitriol. Mm-hmm. Any guess what that is? No. It doesn't sound good. It's sulfuric acid. Oh, wow. <laughs> Straight up dilute sulfuric acid. Okay, did any of them involve vitamin C? (laughs) The last two were the most fortunate and were given two oranges and a lemon a day. Nice. (laughs) So the last two got the real treatment. (laughs) You know, but I'd imagine if I were those people, I'd be looking around at all the, you know, 
uh, you know, very uh, scientific, you know, balanced diets or and uh, treatments, and they're like, really, oranges? We're going to die. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, but they're probably also thinking, I don't want to drink whatever, because I don't know yeah. if I've ever smelled sulfuric acid, but it burns your nostrils. I mean, yeah. it's got to be awful. Yeah. Uh, well, and who thought of that as a treatment? I mean, that's just... Uh, it, they it... were about willing to give people anything back in the day. I mean, <laughs> uh, do- old time doctors were just like, mm, just let me throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> sulfuric acid? Sure. Why not? <laughs> Yeah, again, I don't know why he picked that list of treatments. Like, some of it, what, like, went with the folk remedies, right? But, like, yeah. who said sulfuric acid? I feel like that was just his weird pet theory that he's like, I'm going to get some people <laughs> to drink this. <laughs> Had a bit going with the first mate oh. or something. Something like that, yeah. But, yeah, so, of course, those last two are the ones who get better, the one who got the oranges and the lemons. And the results were published, again, in A Treatise on Scurvy. Uh, unfortunately, no one believed him again. <laughs> there was a widely held belief that scurvy was caused not by not eating enough fresh meat. Yeah, because, you know, they had a very meat-poor diet, it sounds like. Yeah, well, so they had salt, salted meat, heavy yeah. diet, so it was fresh meat that was the answer. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there was also, like, logistical issues, so, like, even if they did believe him, citrus fruit is really expensive. Yeah. Um, it's hard to preserve in the long term. And like now in modern day, we know that vitamin C is actually like really fragile as a molecule. Oh. Um, it can be destroyed by heat or light. So if oh. you just have it out in like without uh, keeping it cool and, and in a dark place, it'll it'll degrade. So the money makers decided really that it was too expensive to use their precious cargo space to store all the fruit that they would need to treat to keep the sailors healthy. Um, it was easier to overman the boat to account oh, wow. for the loss of 30 to 50% of the crew. Wow. <laughs> that, that's relatively evil. <laughs> relatively? <laughs> well. Relative to what? <laughs> I mean, history's rife with monstrosities. I don't know. That's fair. The first captain in the British Royal Navy to keep his crew scurvy free um was uh, a captain cook oh okay uh he entered the navy kind of late for the era so he he became um he joined the navy at 27 mm. he had been a merchant sailor for nine years before that um and his first experience of scurvy was aboard the pembroke uh, which was a ship in 1758 um, they were traveling from England to Canada to fight the French at Saint Lor- for St. Lawrence's River. And he was shocked at the losses and how everyone just thought it was, like, inevitable to, like, lose the entire <laughs> ship to scurvy. <laughs> what you gonna do? Eat <laughs> fresh fruits? <laughs> so while in Canada, he mapped out a bunch of the terrain, um, recorded observations of, of, this, of a solar eclipse... Um, which impressed an early scientific organization, um, the Royal Society. Um, the Royal Society is actually around now, um, and when it was founded, the purpose was to improve natural knowledge, and they decided to grant Cook a ship, um, the Endeavor, with the mission to explore and chart the southern oceans and investigate new plants and animals, 
um, chart astrological observer observations, um, basically um, in Antarctica and, and just southern the mm-hmm. southern hemisphere, essentially. And then Britain also wanted him to claim new lands and colonize areas like Australia. Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Bring us some land while you're at it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cook's methods were wildly unpopular, <laughs> but amazingly effective at keeping his crew healthy. So Cook made um, his sailors wash their clothes and bedding regularly. <laughs> that monster! <laughs> Fumigate and air out the decks. Eat vegetables! <laughs> uh, Cook would land at every opportunity and restock the ship's supply of veggies. Um, he would trick the sailors into eating sauerkraut. So he made it only available to the officers at first. So, like, the sailors thought it was, like, a luxury item. Oh, my God. Like and toddlers. So, <laughs> it, is, it is like toddlers. <laughs> so they would, like, fight over the sauerkraut. Like, they were like, they were like, oh, yes, I can treat it with sauerkraut. <laughs> and Cook never lost a man to scurvy. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Man, that's an accomplishment, and uh, he would have made a great kindergarten teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, there was some um, threats to, like, flog people over not eating the vegetables, too. <laughs> you did not eat your broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, he never actually did it. It was just, like, a threat. But I was like, <laughs> so you threatened to spank a grown man for not eating his vegetables? <laughs> So he just dad vibed his way across the ocean. Is that what you're saying? Yes. <laughs> cool. Now, at the time, of course, they didn't know the substance that was treating the scurvy, right? They knew eating these things now um, treated scurvy. But vitamin C, which is also called ascorbic acid, is the substance that um, they were they were desiring, you know, that the humans needed. Um, fun fact, most animals can actually make their own vitamin C. Really? Yeah, cats and dogs um, can make uh, apes, monkeys, most bats, some rodents, and certain other animals have to get it from a dietary source. Huh. So we're actually pretty rare in that we have to eat our vitamin C. We need vitamin C because it is involved in like the repair of tissues, uh, formation of collagen, enzyme production of certain, and, and the enzyme production of certain neurotransmitters. It is also required for the functioning of several enzymes um, and is important for the immune system. So it, it really just all over your body. And that's why it has so many symptoms, right? Because it's if you don't have it, you're literally, like all of your connective tissues are, are being destroyed because yeah. you just don't have the, the building blocks to make your proteins like they're supposed to. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, it uh, sounds like a big problem if you don't have it. In 1907, two Norwegian physicians, Axel Holst and Theodor Frolisch, I'll go with Frolisch, were studying um, <laughs> beriberi, um, which is another dietary lack, which is a lack of b- vitamin B1. Um, their test subjects were guinea pigs that they fed a diet of grain and flour, and they were surprised when they got scurfy instead of beriberi. <laughs> so, trying Science. to get... <laughs> Luckily, the species did not make their own vitamin C. So if they had used um, mice or rats, they actually do make their own vitamin C, so they wouldn't have gotten scurvy. But because they used guinea pigs, they accidentally discovered, like, this phenomenon and, like, that some species get scurvy and some species don't. And that gave insight into the cause of scurvy. In 1912, a Polish chemist, Casimir Funk, uh, invented the concept of vitamins. 
So we didn't even have an, a concept of vitamins before 1912. I invented the I invented the concept of vitamins. No big deal. <laughs> well, he was kind of wrong about vitamins, <laughs> but so he named it vitamin because it comes from the two words vital, meaning essential, right, and amine. Um, amines contain nitrogen. Oh. Vitamin C does not contain any nitrogen. <laughs> Oh, okay. But it is a vital nutrient, so we were like, yeah, vitamins, it's fine. (laughs) That works. (laughs) But yeah, and it is also uh, vitamin C because it's the third vitamin that was discovered. So they just were like vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C, on and on and on. C, I, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So, and that's the way it is for like all of the, well, I mean the like vitamin D and stuff. It's Mm -hmm. the order that, that's cool. Generally, so um, because of how we classify things and how we know what a substance is um a lot of the vitamins would ended up getting like reclassified so like you know how there's like vitamin b1 b2 b3 yeah so some of those used to be like vitamin like there's no vitamin i don't think there's a vitamin what is it there's no vitamin f right there's no vitamin f so a vitamin f was actually a form of vitamin b so they just reassigned it Oh, okay. But yeah, generally that's that's how the naming works though so like vitamin a first vitamin discovered (laughs) Huh, that is cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some or you know. <laughs> From uh, 1928 to 1932, there was actually a battle between two groups, a Hungarian team um, led by Albert Zenz Gorgi uh, and Joseph L. Sverbili. <laughs> uh, an American team um, that was led by uh, Charles Glenn King. So those two teams were uh, fighting to basically isolate the compound from adrenal glands of animals and suspected that the compound, basically, or so they isolated it and they suspected that it was the compound known as vitamin C. But the American team in 1932 actually was the first ones to actually prove that it was vitamin C um, and did not credit anything to the Hungarian team. <laughs> so oh, they wow. were like, we did it first. <laughs> Sucks to suck. <laughs> in your face. Um, and that led to, like, a bitter dispute. Like, they were, like, life enemies from there on. (laughs) Um, the first person to synthesize vitamin C was a guy, Walter Norman uh, Hayworth. He was a British chemist. Um, and that elucidated its exact structure. So now we have, like, different ways to figure out what the structure is. Um, but before we had our fancy instruments, you literally just had to make it (laughs) to know what the structure was. Yeah. Um... It sounds awful and very hard. <laughs> <laughs> but How, uh, Hayworth um, and Sens Georgi, which were the, was the Hungarian guy who got no credit, proposed that L-hexuronic acid be named ascorbic acid. So chemically, L-ascorbic acid is in honor of its activity against scurvy. So the term comes from Latin A meaning away or off. Um, and scorbic is from the medieval Latin scorbitus, um, which was the, what they called the disease of scurvy. Oh, so okay. a scorbitus, a scorbic acid. So that's how they named it. That is cool. <laughs> um, and partly for this discovery, since Georgi was awarded the 1937 Nobel Prize in Medicine, and Hayworth was uh, shared that year's Nobel Prize in Chemistry. So, uh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> now... 
we're going to get into some weirder stuff that just has to do with vitamin C. This has less to do with scurvy now and just some weird stuff that people thought about vitamin C. <laughs> I'm down for weird stuff. Let's do it. <laughs> so vitamin C, first of all, was the first mass-produced vitamin. Okay. Made in 1930 um, by the Rickstein process, um, which was a multi-step process that used both fermentation, so they would have like yeast making part of it, and then chemical modification from there. So we would make the yeast do some work, and then we would take it and make it into vitamin C um, oh. from glucose. So glucose to ascorbic acid. Wow. In the 1960s, a two-step process was developed, and now an estimated 95% of the world's vitamin C supply is produced in China. Oh, okay. Who had it figured out to begin with, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're really just, like, ahead of the curve on anything yeah, when it comes like, to this now that you say that. <laughs> oh, you manufactured it. Good for you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've just been using ginger this whole time. Yeah. We're all making it way more complicated. Like fools. <laughs> um... Yeah, overall, uh, vitamin C is considered a wonder drug to a certain extent. Um, it's listed on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines, and that has led some some interesting hypothesis about its medical applications over the years. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, base, have you ever heard of the concept of megadosing? Um, no. That sounds dangerous. What is it? So, at least with vitamin C, it's not dangerous. Um... There are absolutely vitamins that will kill you if you megadose them. <laughs> if you take too much vitamin A, that can absolutely kill you. Oh, wow. So, um, just FYI. It takes a lot, <laughs> but, like, there is there is a dose that will kill you. But, yeah. So, the person to popularize megadosing, um, vitamin C, was a Nobel laureate. His name was Linus Pauling. And I love Linus Pauling, but he was super wrong about this. <laughs> so wrong. Like, he literally invented, or not invented, but he uh, he is famous for publishing our idea of how um, chemical bonding works. Oh, wow. Like, in detail, how chemical bonding worked. And then yeah. he was like, you know what? You should be consuming at least 23,000 milligrams a day of vitamin C. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for my next trick. <laughs> the recommendation also fell into a consumption range for gorillas. Oh, Another wow. non-synthesizing near relative to humans. So he's like, gorillas have to take this much, so we have to take this much. <laughs> a second argument for the high intake is that serum ascorbic acid level uh, concentration increase as your intake increases. But that plateaus to about 200 microliters per liter of your blood once you exceed uh, 1,250 milligrams a day. Oh. So he And he wanted you to take 2,300. Like, taking above 1,250 is literally not increasing its supply in your body. Like, that's, you can't take any anymore. It just, you just pee it out. Oh, okay. um, As noted, uh, government recommendations are um, a, a large range, so depending on what country you're talking about, but it's from 40 to 110 uh, milligrams a day. And then normal plasma is approximately uh, 50 micromole per liter, so, um, and then it maxes out at 200. So, you don't need that much but that normal is about 25 percent of what could be achieved when when you're mega dosing so you need a quarter of what he was saying that, we need, that he was recommending pauling popularized the concept of high dose vitamin c as a prevention and treatment of the common cold in 1970 mm -hmm. um and then a few years later he also added that like vitamin c would prevent cardiovascular disease 
it's not true. <laughs> he's super wrong. I mean, yeah, but I mean, marketing wise, it's kind of brilliant. I mean, the mm-hmm. sales in vitamin C were getting stale. Let's uh, come up with a new ailment. <laughs> yeah, but then, okay, he's Uh-oh. like, and if you took it intravenously and then orally, you could also prevent cancer, late stage cancer. Like if you already wow. had late stage cancer, he was like, vitamin C is the cure. Oh my goodness. So he kind of also invented the concept of like um, homeopathic medicine. Like, because so this megadosing thing has other champions, um, also chemists, but Erwin Stone um, and the super controversial um, Matthias Roth and Patrick Holforth. They have been accused of making unsubstantiated treatment claims for treating cancer and HIV. Like, just. Like, they are the pretty much grifters. Like, <laughs> did they do real science at some point? Yes. <laughs> but then they're like, take a vitamin C, that'll cure your cancer. <laughs> that'll cure your HIV. So Here's a Benadryl. Go sleep it off. Erwin <laughs> um, Stone even wrote a book called The Healing Factor, where he outlines his hypothesis and lays the groundwork for what it today is known as orthomolecular medicine. Uh-huh. Have you ever heard of that? No. So, um, you've probably seen this with, like, crunchy mom people, like, crunchy people. They, yeah. You know, like, um, but it's the idea that if you just eat really healthy, you'll never get sick. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Like, it, your diet is entirely control. That entirely controls your health. Like, there is no other thing. Like, as long as you're <laughs> eating the right things, you can cure any, any ailment that you have. Um, which is just super not true. <laughs> like, yes, eating healthy can make you feel better, can make you healthy. Um, but, of course, it just it's just awful. Because, like, if someone is sick and has something like cancer or HIV, that is not something yeah. that can be cured by your diet alone. Yeah, exactly. They have treatments that need to be done. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, like I said, this, this whole vitamin C was kind of like the, not the first um, snake oil. <coughs> That's it. It's not the first snake oil um, treatment ever, but it's the first one that, like, pretended to be scientific. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, that. that's, like, one of, it's, or at least as far as I can tell, it's one of the first ones that are, like, no, we have, we have real scientists on our side <laughs> that are saying these things. Um, and, like, at least with Linus Pauling, I don't think it was um, malice, but some of these other guys, I do think it was, like, about my, making money in malice, you know? Yeah. Because, yeah, like, Linus Pauling, I just think, somehow got sucked into it. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know what, what was happening. Because, again, he did do, like, he's a Nobel laureate. He did great chemistry. And then, for whatever reason, he's like, vitamin C, guys. <laughs> it's just so weird to me. But, yeah, you still see these ideas permeating today. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, I said there's not really a, um th- amount of vitamin C that will kill you. Um, but the National Academy of Science set a tolerable upper intake level for adults, which is 2,000 milligrams a day. The amounts that were chosen because of human, like, a- after, when they did human trials, um, if you got greater than 3,000 milligrams a day, people reported having really bad gastrointestinal issues. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, this is just not fun. Like, it wasn't killing them, but it was like, I feel awful. Yeah, there, there are some things that are worse than death. pooping yourself forever is one of them (laughs) isn't that a cards against humanity card (laughs) yes it is oh okay you and i gotta hang (laughs) thankfully in modern times scurvy is pretty rare 
In some areas, there is an increased risk of malnutrition. Those greatest at risk are actually refugees, which makes sense. But I also found a great article from the BBC, um, which is the British Broadcasting Center, I think, um, entitled, Is Scurvy Making a Comeback? <laughs> Um, which makes it sound like it's like an underdog. <laughs> <laughs> Has a lot of moxie. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what they were finding was that there was an increase in scurvy cases primarily among elderly people um, and children that were fussy eaters. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also cases from people that had had bariatric surgeries or other gastrointestinal, you know, surgeries that could lead to malnutrition. And then I found another article from a website called Express, which I'm not sure how credible it is, but it was saying that the cases of scurvy had doubled in 2021. Oh, wow. Which I'm like, if that's true, we really need to look into that, like... Oh, yeah, no, that's horrible. Let us not forget what the treatment for scurvy is again, guys. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so that's pretty much all I got. So if your teeth are feeling a bit loose, eat an orange, because the teeth don't go back in. <laughs> <laughs> they don't go back. <laughs> yeah, no, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of our, our podcast today? Thank you for being my guest. Well, I, I have learned that, uh, you know, China is uh, more advanced in a lot of ways. And uh, we can't uh, retain knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that was my main takeaway. I mean, yeah, and just the, uh, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of uh, things I learned today that I'm definitely going to be, you know, uh, don't know if y'all know or not, but uh, vitamins are named in the order they were discovered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get to sound smart for a little while, so... <laughs> That's, that's the purpose of this podcast, to give people things to say nice, <laughs> and converse nice. about. But, uh, yeah. Have you seen the uh, Our Flag Means Death show yet? No, I haven't. Oh, that's why you're not getting my reference. <laughs> but it's very good. It's very good. I recommend it. Nice. Yeah. I need to uh, check that out. It's, it's yeah. on HBO. Um, it's about pirates. It's about uh, gay pirates. It's a great show. <laughs> oh my god, that is right up my alley. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like one of the first or second episodes is about scurvy and how they have to go find oranges. <laughs> oh wow. Because the captain, who is a um, aristocratic man, you told the cook to make a 40 orange glaze cake. <laughs> oh, yeah, just whip that right up in the uh, it, those times. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so people were like, where'd all the, where'd all the oranges go? We need those. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for being my guest, and thank you to my listeners. Please follow Cowboy Chemistry on Instagram, at Cowboy Chemistry Podcast. We also have a TikTok now, at Cowboy Chemistry, so ooh, check ooh. us out. We're funny, I promise. It's, Yay. it's me dancing on the TikTok. You're welcome. Nice. <laughs> I gotta go check that out. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're friends. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't check my TikTok on social stuff nearly as often as I need to. <laughs> Still getting used to the platform, you know. Mm -hmm. Lots of lights and noises, it confuses me. Where can people find you on the internet uh, and listen to your funny jokes? All right, that uh, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Um, if you search Jenny Moore Comedy, that's uh, Jenny with an I, more with two O's, and then comedy, like, I'm funny, uh, follow me, and uh, that's uh, where I'm at. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>